This was more successful than others, like Nathan got his second chance. Mm. How many other YouTubers are out there that did not get their second chance? For me, it would just get stuck on checks for five hours. When I asked YouTube about this problem, their response to me was basically, this isn't a problem. Because I've always been captivated by storytelling, and what I really like is when people tell a story in a different way. And sometimes what's even more fascinating about that stuff is the audience's reaction to it. First of all, let, let me just say for a listeners, there's a lot to take. I know you, you just got a free episode of uh, <laughs> an unintended episode of Inside Mind. <laughs> I love the quote of, you can't make great stuff until you've made good stuff, and you can't make good stuff until you've made okay stuff, and you can't make okay stuff until you've made really bad stuff. Hey, welcome to the Create Unknown, the home of Make Something, Mean Something. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, not as always, because he is under the vaccine spell, the vaccine curse, is Matthew Tabor, he uh, he got the vaccine uh, the, the following week after me, and although was very confident, and I would say too confident in his ability to not get too sick from the side effects, he was wrong. <laughs> he was very wrong. So he is uh, he is not joining us tonight because he has the the uh, I don't know how I, I I've been describing it as just being chock full of Benadryl. That's how it, it felt after getting over like the initial kind of fever sickness thing. Uh, for me, it was like four straight days of just my bloodstream being tired. If you've ever felt your blood being tired, uh, that's what it felt like. Just just unable to get, to get up, uh, unable to awake. But uh, we do have a great guest. And by we, I mean us, me and, and, and the listening viewers, all of our patrons here, live in the episode chat and on discord because it is tcu night wednesday night 6 p.m eastern we are hanging out with inside a mind inside a mind is a english commentary youtuber who's gained popularity uh for his eclectic blend of vlogging entries including horror story theory discussions and his theories are mostly about famous internet stories such as uh, don't hug me i'm scared which i am a huge fan of Poppy and uh, How to Basic. Uh, he began his YouTube channel back in 2016, and he did a video most recently about a recent TCU guest, Nathan Barnett. And that's really kind of where I wanted to start because we talked to Nathan. I've been a big fan of his for a very long time. I'm very old and on YouTube, and Nathan is very old and on YouTube. Um, <laughs> But I only got a chance to actually, I, I'd emailed with him before, but but ha having him on the podcast was the first time I actually spoke with him and it was, it was great. So how did you get introduced to Nathan and, and what has your kind of journey making content about him been like? Oh, well, yeah. The, the first time I ever saw Nathan, well, first time I knew his name, because as I actually said in the video itself, like... I've seen him for quite a long time without even realizing it was him. Um, but I, I was sent 
a tweet, I believe, when back in 2019, sending a post to this dad Twitter account, and it looked like kind of like this parody of just a dad, and like he was dancing, posting strange things, and I found it funny, and I retweeted it, and he obviously was very uh, thankful that I did something like that, that he ended up reaching out to me uh, as Nathan, basically saying, hey, I, I'm the creator of this dad thing. Uh, I don't know if you're going to cover a video on it, but I love your channel. I would love to see it if it actually does become a thing. Uh, and so then that's when I looked into like the whole Nathan Barnett channel and noticed like certain dancing that he'd done that I had seen before. Like the, what was it? There was like an infamous one I didn't even mention in the video, but it was like a, an Eggman dance. And it's like been sent across Twitter for like the, the past year or so. And it's just like one of the, one of the funniest ones I've seen so far. And so... I ended up uh, looking more into the dad thing and realized there was a YouTube channel. And again, that was another funny thing that I really enjoyed and decided to make a quick 10-minute video because I, I didn't really think there was um, much lore to, to dive into. I just liked this really funny thing and I wanted to uh, make a slight deviation away from what I was currently doing at the time because it was more horror-related stuff. And so I, I was like, I want to do a bit more lighthearted thing. Here's this 10-minute thing about a random dad that's dancing to strange music, talking about potentially cheating on his wife with a, a woman called um, Diane. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and everyone really liked it. Uh, and then suddenly, like... Um, his channel kind of blew up more th so than I was actually expecting. Like when I've covered this stuff, it's given people attention, but I've never really felt like I've been big enough to like have uh, like a big impact on people's like careers. I I've just kind of pushed enough people in that direction that, you know, people notice and they're like, oh, thank you very much. And then, you know, they kind of just created themselves. But this one was like, I think you got like 20 to 30,000 subscribers in like a day. And I was like, wow. how did that even happen? Um, yeah, and since then, we've kind of just really stayed in touch, like, whether it be bringing me into the story it's or just, like, messing around with just goofy stuff on live streams. Like, like I, I said earlier before we, we started this, I was doing some streams, and he usually gets involved with that, and we, we always kind of just play it up, like, talking about how, I don't know, he, he likes to say that I'm in a cult, and I, I obviously say the same thing back to him, and it just, it's, it's a great, great fun time. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, so... So yeah, over the years, that's pretty much been my relationship with him, just getting to know him more. And I eventually met up with him uh, for the first time back in 2019, before the whole, uh, obviously, lockdown stuff started happening, um, on New Year's. And yeah, we pretty much met up in London and did a couple of filming there. And, and, and that's also um, segued into his into the stuff that he's, he's, he's been doing with the Dad channel. Uh, and, and just recently, that kind of came to an end, the whole dad story lore. I know it's still going, and, and, uh, and Nathan likes to say it, it's forever, it's never going to end, it's a soap opera. Um, but his somewhat story that introduced me to his channel pretty much came to an end in December. And so I wanted to like make one final video pretty much capping off the whole dad lore and the thing that had been going on. Um, and for the last couple of months... I just couldn't get the right script. I wasn't sure how exactly I wanted to get this to work. There was just, it wasn't really gripping me the way um, previous videos had done. And then at the very last minute, I remembered what Nathan had been talking about uh, that was not really related to Dad, like his, his career before Dad had even begun. Uh, and it was something that really fascinated me uh, compared to what, what I've talked about before, which is the life of a YouTuber and, and the career of a, a YouTuber that we haven't seen before. And that is the 
um, the ones that tend to struggle in comparison to the ones at the top, usually we always hear the success stories of uh, that 1% that always makes the millions. They're buying Ferraris. They're buying all the kind of flashy stuff that uh, we kind of see, and then they make a video on it as well. Um, but we never hear the stories like Nathan, where it's um, a lot of the times it's just they're, they're barely scraping enough money just to get by. Um, and I found that fascinating. And and he was like a big, um, he was a big target during the time when Facebook was like stealing a bunch of, well, not Facebook, Facebook pages were mm -hmm. stealing uh, people's content and just uploading it without any credit or anything like that. And because he did dance compilations that he was like the massive target for it. Um, and so I thought that would be pretty in fascinating to talk about and what happened in the build-up to that. Bec and the reason I learned um, about Nathan, he mentioned at one point that he almost lost his house and was living in his van. And that was the key thing that like made me decide um, to talk about this. And the only way I learned about that was because I was working on a game theorist script with him. Um, I he, I was helping out and I was uh, helping um, write a script for MatPat because I thought it'd be kind of a fun thing for him to incorporate in one of his uh, videos for film theory. Um, and I, I thought it'd be even nicer if I got a little bit of help from like Nathan's side. And he uh, wrote in, in, in the opening, uh, I think, yeah, in the opening of the script, he writes somewhere that he almost like lost his home before this actually happened, and I just I was like I didn't realize it got that bad before the, this whole dad thing started, um, and that that never ended up getting into the the game theory uh, thing. I I wanted to obviously I was like I don't know if you want to end up covering that because you've never really talked openly about that, and it probably wouldn't. I don't know if you want Matt Pat to specifically talk about that or not. It's it's up to you. Uh, but eventually, you know, I was like, maybe it'd be good if you spoke about it uh, personally yourself in in an interview. I think that'd probably be um, so worthy to talk about if you're open to talk about it. That is, and I thought he he might be since he he was willing to put it in in, in the uh, game theory uh, script, and and yeah, that's pretty much where that whole vi video came from and my relationship with with Nathan as it grew over time. Um, and that was like a I feel like a very nice ending. To the whole dad stuff whether i'll make another video maybe but for mm -hmm. now that's my final one on the whole coverage of him yeah it's a great video so if anyone um hasn't seen it and you want to look it up it's called the man you've seen but never heard of that's that's the uh it's really like a a, a mini doc about nathan's uh career uh, how he started and, and there is like that dip kind of in his story where he, he was extremely popular for a bit, but then everybody started stealing his stuff and YouTube didn't play nice with his channel and the algorithm. And and I remember that that was a rough period for a lot of people because I think that was the time when YouTube really started pushing like the 10 minute videos and Nathan doesn't really make 10 minute videos. He would make one minute, two minute, three minute, maybe four minute videos. Maybe the, some of the talking classics were, I don't even think those were close to... 10 minutes. I think the talking classics are probably more like six or seven, but you know, I think that you have an opportunity here to, to talk to and, and make similar kind of docs about a lot. You know, YouTube's been around for so long now that those stories are out there. You know, we had yeah. uh, Glozell on the podcast and she has a crazy, like I should not rags to riches. It's like riches to rags, you know, basically 
she was just raking in money in in the early days of when you could do that on YouTube and then spent it, (laughs) spent it all on like just whatever. You know, she mentioned something involving leech therapy, something involving like laying down nude under gold leaf therapy. I don't know, just like weird LA things. And all of a sudden when, you know, the money wasn't coming in and it was all going out, now she's getting evicted and is just broke. And she's at the point where she's, you know, we had her on because she was, she's in this kind of like resurgence period where she's trying to get like back on her feet in terms of being an online creator. But there are those stories left and right, man. Like one, one, um, one creator I'd love to get on the show is Mark Douglas, who I have known for years, who ran uh, Barely Political, which was yeah. one of the top five YouTube channels overall on all of YouTube at one point. I, I don't remember who, who uh, else was up there during that era, but I think it was like Smosh, Barely Political and uh, Jenna Marbles. And, <laughs> you know, it was like that, yeah. that era um, and that the viability of doing those music video parodies that he did for Key of Awesome just collapsed because they were so expensive to make. And then YouTube got crazy about copyright all of a sudden. So it was really hard to do parody because like, if you're familiar with fair use, fair use is a defense, like, like Kesha or Christina Aguilera or whatever can say, you know, I'm going to sue you. And whether or not you want to go through the process of like defending yourself, it's probably going to be pretty expensive to like go, go into court against like Sony BMG. So, um, yeah, like that, that was one of the top channels on all of YouTube. And then like pretty quickly was just gone. And didn't didn't something like that happen to what's his name? Something Baker. I've completely forgotten. I was just about to. I had oh, his name Bart off the Baker. top. Of my yeah, Bart Baker. Didn't he do? Did something like that happen to him? I uh, I wasn't able to full on look into his story, but um, I think he moved somewhere else, like to a different platform. But I well, think wait. I think we're confusing people because Ben W in the chat is saying Brock. No, not Brock. That he's the voice guy. It, it, it is Bart. Yeah. So Bart. Yeah, Baker, it's Bart Baker. He did um the same thing. He he basically um. Uh, copied the key of awesome and did like really similar uh, music video parodies that were very high budget. And he was part of the early days of, um, or he eventually became part of maker studios, which I don't know if you remember, but they were bought by Disney for half a billion with a B billion dollars. Uh, Um, And then that tanked that whole company tanked. Like there, there's a lot here of like things that, there was like this weird bubble that burst. I, I I feel like it was around the time that Nathan's channel, his bubble kind of burst. That like early 2010s, 2014 yeah. maybe. Things I think you're right. Things kind of <laughs> They did. Went they all just they just kind of all collapsed of at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Is that's kind it's kind of crazy just thinking about it. Maybe there's something to kind of look around that particular time period. I know obviously like you mentioned earlier the algorithm definitely had yeah. uh, a, a part to play in that as well. Um, yeah, because it, it kind of was all like a 
maybe it was a combination of everything. There was the algorithm that kicked in, people were stealing uh, content that was kind of short as well. So not only were channels with short videos getting the algorithm like uh, against them, they also had people stealing those videos as well because they were more likely to steal shorter videos because obviously that's what Facebook and Instagram or any of the other uh, sites were around at that time would use because that's like it's more a short attention span kind of uh, apps in comparison to YouTube. So they would be more likely inclined to uh, steal a, a shorter video that would be like comedic. Um, then, yeah, I, you're right though. Like I was actually contemplating after that video, uh, especially with the the amount um, of well, the 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 praise it kind of got for uh, people uh, around, obviously YouTube, think um, talking about Nathan. I, w I was thinking what other kind of YouTubers are out there that might be interesting to look into and bring them on and, like, talk about their story. Because I bet they're, you know, it, like I even said at the, at the end of the video, like, this is, like, um, only one case uh, of many, and this was more successful than others. Like, Nathan got his second chance. Mm -hmm. How many other YouTubers are out there that did not get their second chance? Um, uh, a lot. You know. mm. A lot. Well, Absolutely. and that's a testament to his just feverish desire to continue to create. I mean, he mentions in, in, in your video, in his own words, how even if he were homeless, he would continue making yes. videos and like going to the library to upload them. You know, that's rare. Not a lot of people have the, I'm going to continue to be a homeless YouTuber energy yeah. that Nathan has. Um, so yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot of opportunity for you to make interesting deep dives into these cases and um and that era is so interesting i almost feel like that could be like eventually um sorry to like program your channel for the next year but <laughs> after like compiling a few of them i really think that there's an there's there's the ability to create an overarching narrative um detailing how there was this youtube bubble that got burst in during that era that may not all be all that dissimilar to like the dot com burst that is really really famous um the the financial or sorry the housing market burst that happened around i don't know 2008 something like that 2007 um where yeah those early adopters like blew up and then just fizzled out really quick due to a number of factors i think that would be really interesting to investigate yeah, absolutely. I th I think that it'd be a definitely maybe worthy of a good couple of videos to explore into. Um, yeah, I was just trying trying to think of like there was another one that kind of came up to my mind just not too long ago. Um, that was more of a comedic uh YouTuber. Is was he like the Ice Cream Man or something like that? I think that was the Ice oh, Cream yeah, I Man. Could be I can't remember. <laughs> I think I N Dubs like made a video on him. I'll be like, to, uh, knowing oh! me, I it'll be like totally dumb crappy can't remember no his you're name talking properly. about dax flame that's it <laughs> yeah I, remember, I just remember ice cream of all like things <laughs> i was like right yeah sure it's like something with that name idubs made a doc about him um over the summer because now he works as like an ice cream man there we actually go. <laughs> i think he's he's doing content again i think he hooked up with somebody to make that smoothie show uh that they piloted in idubs documentary but yeah dax oh. flame um is an example of that and, th and that might have been what attracted ian to to do that hour-long documentary 
just yeah. about him, but there's there there are a lot of people out there that I'd be fascinated to know more about. Watching your your Nathan doc was good because well, first of all, it's so well done. I just want to say like <laughs> it's so well edited, it's so well put together and crafted. Um, it really is like shockingly nicely done. But I was already familiar with a lot of it because I I, I I've been following him since. Yeah. Trail Luaus and the Skittles commercials <laughs> and all of that stuff. Oh my word! You know, yeah. but but yeah, I would love to see more of that from you in the future because you definitely have um, like a unique touch when it comes to storytelling and, and the crafting of it. Thanks. Yeah, and another thing I just popped up uh, in my head. I think another thing will probably be worth to explore is the 2017 like adpocalypse stuff. I bet there is a lot of stories around there that happened as well. Uh, one mm-hmm. of the thoughts that I was thinking off the top of my head um, was how a lot of like YouTubers, you know, when when I said at the very beginning how we always kind of look at that top percent that are always buying those flashy cars and things like that. Um, I I, I no- noticed like a lot of them kind of went into panic mode, probably in the nicest way to say after the adpocalypse happened, because they they kind of were in that uh, mindset that so many uh th- th- this money is just going to keep coming in no matter what so they can just spend it all on they want and then when the adpocalypse happened and their 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 wages just suddenly cut in half suddenly that changes a lot of stories uh, um mm-hmm. of what's going on and it does make me wonder uh what happened with, with you know with with a lot of youtubers around there did any uh, specifically disappear around that time cuz they couldn't keep keep up their channel anymore mm-hmm. yeah yeah, nobody specifically comes to mind that I know of, but I, I'm sure there are, especially with how restrictive YouTube has gotten since then. I mean, look, let's face it. If anybody remembers watching YouTube in, you know, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, you could get away with a lot of stuff that you cannot get away with anymore. I mean, there's a reason that, uh, you know, filthy Frank videos are, are being just removed from the website, oh, like God, left, yeah. left and right. Well, <laughs> there's actually, um, another video that I actually covered, um, well, a web series, I, I, I'll say called I am Sophie. And that's kind of a parody. It's kind of a hate letter to YouTube, actually not. It's a parody of a rich girl vlog, and it kind of tricked commentary uh, YouTube channels into covering them. I think uh, I've forgotten the name now off the top of my head. I'll go back to it shortly. But basically, they tricked a bunch of them to cover it, got a lot of attention. And then once it got all the attention, uh, it started going into more uh, gory and horror aspects. Like it was just like a, like a Blair Witch or a completely over the top kind of stuff that was happening. Um and as the story progressed, you kind of realized what what the overall message was trying to say. And it was talking about how uh, creators were kind of uh, pretty much appeasing the algorithm and not kind of creating things that they want to create a lot of the times. Um, and it was an interesting... Cre- and, and one of the things when I've spoken to the creator himself, uh, this isn't actually in the video. I, I kind of want to speak to him more now because the series is over. Uh, but he specifically uh, talked about some of his videos, um, how broken the YouTube system is. These videos that would upload would get demonetized, but then out of nowhere, they would just suddenly be monetized for no apparent reason. And he's, his kind of whole um, reason he was putting this together was to kind of show how broken the whole thing was. He would have one video where he would, like, very, obviously, graphic, but one, he would have his head cut off so you couldn't see it, but he would hold a gun to his head and shoot, 
that would stay up, but then another video would get taken down for no apparent reason that was completely nothing as like that. And it's just, you know, it, it, I, I kind of find stuff like that fascinating of just pointing out how broken YouTube is right now. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a lot of content creators that probably get screwed over for no apparent reason while others get away with it. It's, yeah. Yeah, and I'll tell you, you know, YouTube itself is not helpful when it comes to trying to solve these problems. I mean, people really, really are on their own. You know, there, there are some instances in which uh, I feel like Perhaps a problem gets enough visibility on Twitter, for example, that YouTube will step in and, and do something. But for the most part, they won't. And they won't even tell you there was something wrong. Like, for, for instance, a couple of weeks ago, um, there's this new... Uh, this is getting into how the sausage is made. So I apologize if this is boring to people who don't upload. But there's this new thing when you upload a video called Checks. And apparently, Checks is supposed to check to see if your video is viable for advertising. However, in the world, it does that. Well, for me, it would just get stuck on checks running for five hours, and I'd delete the video and re-upload. Then it'd get stuck on checks running for 15 hours. And I'm like, okay. i delete the video and re-upload it another hour. When I asked YouTube about this problem, their response to me was, I swear to you, uh, Basically, this isn't a problem. And I'm like, okay, that's an interesting response because I am have it's like going to the doctor because your arm is broken and having the doctor say, actually, you know, your arm's not broken. Like most people's You're just arms on it wrong. Yeah, most people's <laughs> arms are not broken. So I don't know why you have this problem. It's like, okay, but mine is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I need a, like, oh, help. My <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how I didn't even but but yeah, something like that kind of um happened to me with YouTube system, ironically, with the I Am Sophie videos, um, they just one day just completely disappeared from the search results and recommended, mm -hmm. like completely flat out gone. Uh, someone was like, I was just like searching for it and, and couldn't find your video. And so I started looking up and I was like, yeah, like they're, they are nowhere to be seen. And so I- uh, It's not like it was I, on like page two or page three, no. it was just gone. I was absolutely gone. I searched the exact video, like the the title for t uh, um, pretty much word for word, went on like uh, the advanced search tool as well, like uploaded in a month because I think it was just a month that had been up. Um, and then I think I did uh, longer than 20 minutes because it was longer than 20 minutes. And literally it just says no search is found. So like even, or they even told me to try and search for the URL because if you search the URL in the YouTube search bar, it will always come up. It didn't even come up when I did that. Wow. So I went to the analytics and there was just at some point where it was like going up and then it just went straight to zero. So somewhere, for some reason, the video just completely disappeared from recommended and search results and no one had clicked on it. Uh, so I pretty much made a video saying YouTube shadow banned my video. People disagreed with me, even though like, I don't think there was anything else. Um, I tried to get in contact with YouTube first before I made the video, but they kept telling me uh, that we found it in the search results. You should just search it yourself. It's it's there. Literally all my people who were following me were pretty much replying to this tweet saying, we've done the advanced search tool. We can't find anything. Isn't How that are the, you finding the definition this definition of gaslighting? <laughs> Isn't yeah, that like literally much, what gaslighting is? That's pretty much is? what it was. It was just like, <laughs> I could not believe it. I was like, this is insane. And so I, w I felt like there was no other way I could do this. I'd, I'd also sent off like the, they have that, um, 
they have that little area that you can get into a little group chat with someone and you can say like my videos completely disappeared and they'll be like oh yeah we'll take a ticket and th- nothing was coming from that either mm-hmm. so that's when i ended up making the video and <laughs> And the the best thing I got out of I think of that video was um, YouTube pretty much said, "Oh, you should probably message our support." Uh, it was like, "Oh, thank you, YouTube. That's that's what I did like two weeks ago when you didn't respond to me." Um, eventually, they it came back, um, and I was like, "Oh, that's good." And it it kind of like reignited the video somehow. So so like it started getting recommended more than it would have done beforehand. And then two weeks went by, disappeared again, like straight recommended search results just gone. And it happened, I think, three times before eventually YouTube finally decided to tell me, oh, because of COVID, we are sometimes taking videos out of the search results and recommended because we haven't had chance to review them properly. And it's like, it takes you three times to do this? What? It's just... Which is implying that that people are sitting around reviewing everything? I mean, that's (laughs) ridiculous. That's definitely not true. That makes no sense. No, absolutely I, not. I, why did people not believe you? Because YouTube was public and open about how they specifically were going to take action to remove certain types of content from search. Like that's a thing that they talked about doing. That's not a secret. I, 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 I mean, not it, as it relates to your content, but just mm-hmm. overall. I mean, I, I don't yeah. remember if it was during like the, like when Alex Jones first started getting banned everywhere or what it, what mm-hmm. triggered it. It might have been something to do with uh, like a, a like crisis actors or something. There was some conspiracy theory time where yeah. YouTube's response to that was like, okay, we'll just figure out a way to make sure that things we don't think are things that we consider harmful don't show up in search results so people can't find them. Or if, or if people find, search like some tragedy, what doesn't show up in search results is some, you know... Uh, conspiracy theory thing that they're really unhappy with. Yeah, pretty much. I, I, I think the reason some people were like disagreeing is because they hear it a lot of the times where, um, I, I, I think we, we're kind of at that point where YouTubers have, have said it so much that it's almost numb to a lot of people who, who aren't really, you know, in, in that, um, field. So, so, so it's kind of like, oh, here's another one claiming that it's shadow banned when it's not. Cause, cause there are some cases where it, a video isn't technically shadow banned or hasn't like disappeared from search results. And I will say, I don't know if I explained it properly as well. Like I, I was saying it doesn't search, uh, it doesn't appear in like search results. The one thing I did not include was mentioning the URL, like appearing in, if you search it in the search bar, it doesn't show up. I feel if I'd have said that, maybe that would have like pushed people from like disagreeing with me. Um, because because I, I I feel like maybe I gave the impression that oh I looked at the first two search results and then there was nothing after that right. or th- that's the only thing I can really say but I I was saying that I did the advanced search and that didn't show up and um so, so yeah that's my only guess as to why people were saying that or maybe they didn't watch the video at all and they just assumed it was another person um, right. saying that their video was shadow banned because because there are jokes and things that like appear on YouTube like um. I've seen it where like uh, th- they quote like a YouTuber saying, uh, "Why is no one watching my boring content anymore?" That's what they'll 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 say or something on a tweet, and everyone will like it. Like, haha, yeah, YouTubers are always saying their videos are shadow banned. So, so I think they probably those people thought that that's what I was I was doing, which which to be fair, understandable if if that's what they think. I I, I feel like I could have probably explained my point a lot better, as you can tell in my 
podcast here i'm i always stutter a little bit or go back to a, like a story as i as i say stuff so um when it's unscripted <laughs> so um i can kind of understand if, if people don't quite get the point i'm saying uh, uh, no, i think I'm not i think the it's the other thing i think it's it's like a it's the boy who cried wolf it's the youtuber who, mm. who cried wolf you're right you do hear that a lot where a video is underperforming and it's like Oh, I'm shadow banned. It's not even on YouTube. You see that on Twitter. Yeah, you see that like true. everywhere. It's like, oh, I'm shadow banned. It's like, really? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you really? <laughs> are you really? Are you just <laughs> using this as some sort of crutch as to why, <laughs> you know? I could totally see something like that, yeah. People don't like this video or whatever, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Um, what, what do you have planned? Like, can you give us any hints of like things that, I know we were talking a little bit about some sort of, ideas about what you could be doing in the future but i'd love to hear more about your process for you know choosing topics and 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 deciding what to make a video about mm-hmm. well a lot of the times when i when i make a video um i i the main goal that i try to have on my channel is telling uh, a story that's been told in a different way that's why a lot of people tend to refer to my channel as these uh, things known as alternate reality games because sometimes I do cover things like that um, So, because I've always been captivated by storytelling and what I really like is when people tell a story in a different way and sometimes what's even more fascinating about that stuff is uh, the audience's reaction to it like I've covered many times where um, a, a TV show has tried to tell a story slightly differently to what we have seen and how an audience can sometimes react negatively to that. And I think it's sometimes interesting to talk about why they acted negatively to that or uh, or, or sometimes, you know, just leaving it up for like the audience to decide on whether or not this was right for what the, the um, show decided to do. For example, I, I did cover, I'm sure you've heard of uh, War of the Worlds from Orson Welles back in 1930. Seven, I want to say, uh, mm-hmm. I covered that obviously, and that that's a thing where where they tried to present it as real, like a real broadcast where aliens had invaded, and um, obviously people were um, spooked by it. They thought it was real, but then also, uh, I having looked into it, I, I do believe that a lot of that was down to media, uh, pretty much fear-mongering because at the time I think radio was starting to overtake uh, newspapers with delivering news so there is the kind of conspiracy that they kind of ramped up the um the fear of that broadcast to kind of you know um what's the word to demonize radio yeah demonize radio pretty much because there there was a lot of things like uh eyewitness accounts of like uh passing the places that they claimed had like riots and there was no one there um, or there was, I think, um, there was no reports of people jumping off buildings, despite that's what the media was saying. Uh, there were people who genuinely believed it was real, but they believed that it was a lot smaller than they were claiming. Also, the viewers that were had actually tuned into the radio, I believe, was a was a million viewers, but they were like pretending that it had like six million or more, uh, despite it being. Um, quite quite a small amount of people who actually were tuning in at the time. Uh, so so I like covering obviously stuff like that and and enjoying like the re- audience's reaction to it and how they you know tell a story slightly differently to to the norm. Um, so that's how I, I kind of 
choose something if I think, oh, this is pretty interesting, a different way to what I've usually covered. I'm going to give this a little shot. And if people enjoy it, if it's still going, then I'll, I won't cover it all. I'll just kind of give a bit of a teaser of what, what, what there is and people can go check it out. Uh, and if it's finished, then I obviously do a, like a, a beginning, middle and end of, of the story. Um, and, and I think there's two examples uh, for upcoming videos that that kind of uh, show that. One of them is the Forest Fen treasure hunt that uh, happened for the past decade. Um, what is and that? It just kind of, I, yeah, I'll, I'll get into it. <laughs> it's a big old thing. Here we go. Get ready. Um, right. So <laughs> I, I have the audio pretty much all done because I, I, I feel like my videos can be kind of like podcast scenarios. So I, I kind of edit all the audio and then upload it to Patreon so people can listen to and they can check out the script. And I usually have like articles within the script if people want to kind of look a little bit further into it. Um, so in uh, pr pretty much there is a guy known as Forrest Fenn, and he was a art dealer uh, who pretty much made millions by doing that in Santa Fe during the 70s and 80s, I want to say. Uh, and in 1988, he was diagnosed with uh, incurable cancer. So what he wanted to do, because he classed himself as a maverick, obviously, um, and so he wanted to end his life on his own terms because he didn't want to be... He'd seen people die from cancer before and it's not pleasant. And he, he's he been in those moments where they've all been like round of a bed. Everyone's sat around a bed of the person who is about to go and, and it's a horrible experience. So he wanted... To, he didn't want that. He wanted to end his life on his own terms. So what he decided to do was he got a bunch of artifacts that he collected over time, like ancient artifacts that would like cost around one to two million dollars uh, of jewels and gold and got all this stuff and put it into a chest. Uh, the chest itself, I believe, costed around $25,000 alone. Whoa. Um, and so he was planning to head off to a place that he had visited when he was a child, his favorite spot when he was a child, uh, sit there and take a bunch of sleeping pills and he would have a poem that would be found somewhere in his house, whether it be in a decade time or 20 years time. And whoever found that poem, uh, if they can figure out the clues within the poem, it would lead to the spot where he died with the treasure. And if he could, uh, and it says in the, the poem, if you can find that location, um, you can take the chest. Um, but there's one thing he didn't take into account during this point. Um, he actually got better. Uh, so he didn't actually end up dying from cancer, but he still wanted to do this whole treasure hunt. So he spent a few years pretty much fixing up this poem, kind of switching it around because he he kind of mentioned his body w within the poem uh, at the time. So he wanted to get rid of that completely. Uh, and in 2010, he released a book known as Thrill of the Chase. Within it was the poem that would lead to the treasure. He, he put the treasure in that exact same spot he was planning to go to to die, uh, except he is not going to be there. It's going to be found for someone else. And so over the last 10 years, people have been kind of like, you know, scrounging to try and find this, try and decode the, the poem, see if they can figure out the location. Um, and it got pretty bad. I, I am going to end up covering some of like the more um, bad stuff that happened to him. There was a potential kidnapping that kind of happened. Um, there was lots of threats going towards Fenn because they wanted the treasure and all these kind of conspiracies that the treasure wasn't even out there. It was completely fake. Uh, but Fenn said himself that um, all the 
money and stuff that was actually made from the book went to a local bookstore in his town because uh, he didn't want anyone like accusing him of like making a profit on a book. But let's be real. This is like a millionaire. I'm going to be honest. The worst thing he would ever do, like uh, like uh, an entrepreneur, you could say, the last thing you're going to do in the 2010s is try to make profit from books. Like he'd be going into something else, wouldn't he? Like who ex- ends up buying books these days? So Tre- I think treasure try and- hunt, treasure hunt poem books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah that's a if, banger if you're re- idea. <laughs> I know, right? If if you really think he's gonna be trying to do something like that, I'm, I I don't know what to tell you. Um. So. Uh, yeah. So he pretty much obviously tried to get rid of the profits not going towards him. I think something like ten percent went also to cancer research, uh, and etc. So. At the, at the beginning of 2020, I actually said to everyone, I was like, I'm going to cover this. It's kind of interesting. There is a little bit of a the theory on whether or not the treasure is even out there. It's probably not good. I don't really know where to go with it. Boy, was I wrong. 2020, like, just threw the lid on this whole thing. So not only was the treasure found at the beginning, he actually said he's not going to reveal who the person is, which sent everyone into absolute chaos compared to what they already were. So, like... um. There were people like absolutely convinced that the treasure didn't exist because he was not saying that the identity of this person. Uh, then a woman comes out basically saying that actually it's me who found the, the the treasure and this person who Fen is claiming it is stole it from me. He's been sending me threats through texts and he hacked into my computer and stole the solved poem and then traveled to the location um before me and took the chest so now i want you to hand over the chest to me because it is rightfully mine w- with also the slight problem of being that um she claims it was in new uh new mexico the state of new mexico uh even though it was confirmed earlier that it was in the state of wyoming uh that it was found so Oops. yeah there there is that situation and um, yeah, pretty much a lot of people went against Forrest after this had kind of happened because there was no, again as well, he hadn't, um, he decided not to let the poem, uh, he didn't release how the poem was solved because apparently that was up to the finder and the finder didn't want to reveal that either. So everyone kind of turned on him at that point. And even media outlets were like pretty much siding with the conspiracy theorists at this point. To the point where it got so stressful with, with, with Forrest that in September, he actually passed away. Um, and it's kind of disheartening at that point because he, he'd just pretty much gone through so much. He was he was a very naive um, person. You know, he, he thought the best of people. And I think everyone else around him was like trying to say this. This could not be a very good idea and he and i think you know i I feel really bad for him because he was probably expecting like this was going to be like a great fun thing and was not expecting everything that ended up happening to him um and later on the finder eventually stepped forward and the reason i brought up the woman with the crazy case of like saying that he hacked into the phone and stole was because of her case his name was going to be public record because the the courts had asked for uh, identification from the finder so he's like even though he wanted to stay anonymous he was going to be called out eventually because it's going to be public record so he he wanted to come out on his own terms and he stepped forward and announced who he was um and pretty much explained he didn't want to reveal how the poem was solved because with how he's seen people react in the past 10 years he would absolutely be convinced that some people would travel to that location in hopes that 
something fell out of the chest. Maybe something was dropped there, so they might pillage the area and damage it. So he wanted to keep it preserved because it was like Forrest's number one spot that he loved when he was a kid. Like like, like dig it all up or something. Yeah, looking exactly. Looking for hidden yeah. booty. Yeah. Pretty much. That's pro- that, That's what he his thought. And, and the reason he wanted to stay anonymous as well was uh, pretty much because of what everything happened with Forrest. He he endured stalkers, like I said, kidnapping earlier, uh, and and all this other kind of stuff that was accused against him. Um, and so, what's kind of disheartening is that um, people kept saying that like Fenn did this just to kind of have a legacy, when in truth he kind of died protecting, you know, destroying his legacy, but protecting the identity of this finder. Um, I don't exactly mention that in the video. I try to look at the more positive side because I do think the majority of people who were in this search were just in it for fun. It's just like a few individuals that kind of caused all these problems. But, it, you know, because they are so because they were kind of so vile, it feels like there's more of them than there actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and so that's a project that I'm working on that there's probably going to be the first one that's coming out. And that's like a full case of the story beginning and ending. And another one is called Omega Mart, which is also... Wait, wait, before uh, I, we get to Omega Mart... I, I was going to say, I wasn't going to get into it. Go uh, on, sorry. Uh, no, I just wanted to say that listening to that story is so crazy. First of all, let, let me just say for our There's listeners... There's a lot to take, I know. You, you just got a free episode of... Uh, <laughs> an unintended episode of Inside Mind. <laughs> so if you, <laughs> if you enjoyed that, then definitely go subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> um, but holy cow... I just need to take a moment to <laughs> talk about how this guy wanted to do this like theoretically beautiful and imaginative and exciting, thrilling and joyous thing, almost like a ready player one. If yeah. anyone has read that book or, or seen that movie, it's really a very similar tale or a setup at least, you know, mm-hmm. and instead it turns into this nightmare of unintended consequences. Yeah. Of people just like you said, and it doesn't take that, you know, even if, you know, 99% of people are cool and, oh, this is a fun thing and maybe I'll figure it out and maybe I won't. But 1% are like sociopaths and, and totally evil. Well, like five sociopaths can really ruin something for everybody else yeah, I know. <laughs> like pretty quickly. It's crazy. It is. It it really is. And, and, and so that's kind of that is kind of the angle I'm taking, how it kind of like turned into this. It, it, you know, it started as this thing that he just wanted to do. Wanted, he, he, he's kind of, it was looked at as like this Indiana Jones-esque guy, you know, getting art and, and collecting artifacts over the years. Get, that's where he got his riches because, um, you know, he, st- he was one of those where he started out poor as well. And like um, his family, I don't even think, could obviously afford to go to college. Um so he never really went to college. He went into the military and fought in the Vietnam War. And then, you know, kind of success story with art. Uh, and then wanted to do this fun thing with the kids. Because like his um, explanation for why he wanted it um, to do it even more so after the cancer was cured uh, was, was to get kids off the couch and, and explore the, the nature because he was like oh one gosh. with the nature. Um, so, so that was always his, his, uh, main plan. And, and it seems like he got a lot of people, uh, involved in doing that. And you're right. It, it does only take like a small fraction of people, even though it's a small fraction of people, they can be the ones that can cause like some bad problems. Um, 
how how did a, like a hiker just walking around never stumble upon this chest? Was it was it did he bury it or not? He just was like he, stuck it in the woods. Like how did nobody ever was, see it? Uh, he said it was never buried, but I assume it must have been like near a rock or something that was kind of covering it. Mm-hmm. Um, he said himself that a lot of seekers for the last ten years were at least two hundred feet away from it. Like they they've been like massively close. He never oh. spe- specified which state it was in until like obviously it was found. Um, he he just said that I think it was in the Rocky Mountains. I think that was the only kind of area that he he like had confirmed it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Like I I'm surprised like no one had actually come across that because there there's been other stories of similar things where people have just like stumbled upon it before. Um, it makes sense, just like the law of averages. Like eventually, yeah. especially years and years and years, you you think exactly. that wherever one, uh, one person could safely get to to hide something and expect other people to safely get to you know we're not talking about like halfway up some craggy insane cliff or something that like no one is gonna get to (laughs) like naturally um then you would expect somebody to accidentally trip on the damn thing um at some point but i i guess i guess not and so that that's another element of this story that i actually think is really interesting, but gosh, you know, you try to do something fun, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that that's why I find it quite interesting because, like, the stuff I I cover tends to be like, um, you know, these different forms of storytelling for fun. A lot of them are done for fun, but sometimes they they do go wrong. Uh, um, you know, I I've talked about past past things. There there's been people who've like tried to tell a story in a different way, and they ended up going so wrong that the community turns on them and i think one person got doxxed at one point in a, in a previous video of mine and it's I, I like to go over kind of things like that and not always uh I, d- I don't think i always have an answer for everything of of why these things happen but i do think it's always important to cover them you know because um when people always message me and ask me like you know how what's like a good idea for a story or like other do you have any advice before i go into making something like this even if it is like a treasure hunt cuz some some do just want like a treasure hunt with not much of a story and the always the, the thing i always try to say is do try to make some kind of safe precaution in case something goes wrong like you know cuz there a lot of the people i cover tend to stay in character a lot and a lot of people believe that they should stay in character no matter what. And I'm trying to kind of uh, convince people not to do that, like to to stay in character to an extent. But if it starts going wrong, uh, you should like feel comfortable enough to like step forward and be like, hey, this is going a little too far or or, or et cetera. Um, I know in, in, in Fen's case, there was not really much he could do. I think that had more to do with the fact that it just became so big i think that can be an issue too like when an audience becomes so large how do you exactly control it you know um because like a lot of the args have smaller communities so 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 like when something slightly goes wrong you could probably step forward and and calm things down but when things get really big um does you know is there a way to actually stop it from going horribly wrong you know sometimes with with the amount of people that get involved. Yeah. And look, we've talked to a lot of creators, you know, over these past couple of years who have not exactly in those words, but alluded to the fact that as they've gotten more subscribers and more attention, they've just 
kind of gotten more and more concerned and felt more pressure about what it is that they're putting out. And I think that that there is a through line between what you're saying. And um, for instance, like if anyone listened to our Ted Nivison episode, um, Ted was talking about how, yeah, he blew up like pretty quick, hundreds of thousands of subs, and all of a sudden just kind of felt like a little bit of anxiety, um, almost to the point of it preventing him from making anything. Because it's like, well, are people going to like the next thing that I do? Like, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of fans. Like, it's not good enough. Am I, if I, am I good enough? And all of a sudden, it, it, you turn yeah. inward and it spirals. And, and, and it is one of those things that I think that this podcast is, is really um, a comfortable place for YouTubers to have those honest discussions. But you can't have that discussion with your audience or, or even with like, other people's audiences because they will feel no shred of sympathy for somebody being like, oh, boo-hoo, I'm so popular and it's a lot of pressure. Like, you get the smallest violin playing, you know, <laughs> concerto number shut up um, if you make that complaint. But, like like I said, it's real. It, it, it's, it just is. It's the nature of probably not just being a YouTuber, but doing anything where you go from... Uh, I mean, like bands run into this, right? Like that was whole, that was like Nirvana's whole thing was, you know, they loved being this punk kind of small, like gutter band in Seattle. And then all of a sudden, you know, being on Rolling Stone every other week and having like articles and Vanity Fair or whatever written about how, you know, your wife is a junkie. It's like, well, this is really not fun at all. Like this isn't, this is so much worse. I really liked being <laughs> like not famous was better. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like, I've, um, I've talked about this. I, I think I, not yet. I don't even know if I've talked about this in stream. I've no idea. Uh, maybe this could be new to people. I don't know. We'll find out. But, um, yeah, one, one of the things, uh, oh, I've completely lost my train of thought now. I, <laughs> Uh, Never mind. We were just talking about in terms of like the pressures of of getting bigger. I mean, I I've no I felt that on Vsauce too, just more so as it relates to like the ebb and flow of the channel because the channel's been around for a decade now almost, and there were years where every video got a million views, and then there were years where they did not, and um, it is a weird thing to be on that roller coaster to feel like you know uh this isn't going as well as it used to yeah. people noticing you know is this embarrassing to to only get this amount of views at this point I, I don't know you know those things do you're just a human being they run through your head you know you 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 can't help but be concerned with that sort of stuff and be affected by it yeah uh i think yeah it's, it's similar uh to to what I oh, I keep forgetting <laughs> I, I I think I'm just a bit nervous as all well. but um, no that's okay I mean you haven't been around for that long you know just a few true. years mm -hmm. so um so it'll be interesting you know to see how um your your channel evolves but I think it's in a really good place now and it seems like you found a niche with creating your content that i find fascinating like you mentioned the uh like the omega mart thing and we don't have to get into that too much but i just found out about that and uh and meow wolf recently and if anybody isn't familiar with meow wolf i i wasn't until 
last week when, when for some reason, uh, some, some Omega Mart commercials showed up on my feed and I was like, what is this? Um, I think cause Mike Diva, I'm a big Mike Diva fan. I think he's okay. brilliant. And he directed some of those commercials. Um, but Meow Wolf is like a collective, like it's this like giant art collective in Santa Fe that has like 200 people there and George R.R. R. Martin <laughs> like funds them. It's the weirdest thing. It is so strange. Yeah. Um, and that, that was like when I was planning on uh, looking into because there was like um, there's like massive lore like behind its whole story. Um they have like uh they talk about multiple di- multi-dimensional stuff uh, you can when you enter omega mart there are like secret entrances around the supermarket that you can uh, explore and you can figure out about the company that owns omega mart and that the ceos are uh, like trying to fight each or are fighting each other or there's like these aliens that are apparently part of it as well and not only that like some of the weird products there you can buy yourself as well like they're available online to buy i think there is or is it it was something like definitely not butter spray or something like that and, like the description is like who told you this is butter this is clearly not butter it's it's like it's so cool and so i've been like absolutely fascinated um by tuning in, <laughs> by tuning into like some of the videos that you can find, They're, they have their own websites as well that helps you explore the lore, and um, <laughs> there, there's like an access area of like employees, and usually with alternate reality games or or stuff like that, there's always like uh, this secret password you got to figure out. You got to be really smart and like look through the about section. Maybe they like hint at what the password could be. With this, no, you you could literally just smack your hand on your keyboard and it'll just grant you access. It's just like there's no <laughs> password or anything. Um, it's perfect, and I, I just love it. I love the the comedic aspect it has to it all, and um, the, yeah, the actual Omega Mart thing is in Las Vegas, I believe, and yeah. they have a other place yeah, that is owned by George R. R. Martin um, called House of Eternal Return and they've confirmed that both of them are connected and like if you explore both areas you can find like stories within it like there's little journals of like the characters and you can learn about how they connect so to speak there's websites for that as well with like video logs of like this professor like experimenting with portals and stuff like that to different <laughs> dimensions um yeah so i'm gonna be covering that as well <laughs> I, re- I reached out to like meow wolf uh uh on their youtube i think they have a business email and so i was like uh, hey do you want to be at a youtube video and sure they'd be down for it of course um so that, that that's going to be my introduction to the to the whole thing and whether whether or not i i explore into the lore of what's going on i don't know but either way i'm just like fascinated by it it's it's my new thing that i'm just completely obsessed with yeah it's right up your alley definitely because well when i first saw it i was like this is expensive looking like this took money i mean the actual omega mart the the commercials are like 80s supermarket style but the vfx and stuff are great you know one of and all the products are made up they're they're all you know they don't exist they're all weird it'll be like dark matter cleaner or something it'll look like a windex bottle but it's just dark matter and when you spray it it like forms a a black hole (laughs) it's so weird um and uh 
and, so good. And the reason I was going to say it seems so up your alley is because what, the, the more I looked into it, once they got into like, yeah, like we had no money and it was just like 10 of us and we were just kind of like homeless in this warehouse. And then like George R.R. R. Martin was like, here, I'll buy this building, this like warehouse for you. I'm like, is this real or is this also part of some sort of performance art? Like it is hard to discern what is actually going on with I know with 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 Meow Wolf, let alone Omega Mart? Like, forget how weird Omega Mart is. Obviously, that's like an art project, but Meow Wolf itself seems kind of steeped in mystery. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was looking into Omega Mart, this isn't like the first time Omega Mart's been around. It's the first time it's been around on such a big scale. But they pretty much started. Meow Wolf like created like a little Mega Mart store in like 2009 or something and apparently it was like really bad. Um <laughs> and, and, and they, 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 it was like they were like I think they were like uh, artistic people and they just one day they were just like what if we just made a supermarket with weird stuff in it and they were like yeah let's do that and that's what they did in like 2009. And then eventually they did it again in 2012. But they, I think they took art projects from like a school nearby. But rather than just putting it in like a, a an art exhibit or like a place where it's it was surrounded by other uh, places with art, they just did it as like a normal supermarket. So like when people would walk in, they would just get the average person walking inside to actually experience this <laughs> art. So and the funniest part, you, they get like random people uh, sending in their CVs for a j- job application, and they're like, "Oh no, this it's not a real place. It's like gonna have oh to turn God. you back." Um, it so looks yeah. real though they do such a convincing yeah. job uh, the only way you can tell it's not real is if you actually look at the products and they're all yeah. really bizarre it'll be like a lemon with an eyeball in it mm. like okay obviously uh, something is going on here but yeah I, I definitely highly recommend anybody uh, listening to uh, I mean there's, there's links in the episode chat so our patrons are checking it out right now but uh, for, for those listening on audio Check out Omega Mart. Check out Meow Wolf. That is a rabbit hole that you can go down for a while, and it's very weird, and it's all very, it's very artsy. It's just yeah. for the love of really like creativity and art and imagination. Like it's just so imaginative, and really, there's nothing beyond that. Like, let's be honest, it's like functionally useless. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's yeah, functionally absolutely. useless, but in terms of just being, I don't know, just pushing the limits of creativity and stuff. I think it's phenomenal. I love it. I wish there was more stuff uh, like this because it's right up my alley. It's just so weird for the sake of being weird. And obviously it's being, you know, satirical of the idea of a supermarket and the idea of consumerism and the idea of just going up and down all of these aisles and picking out this like endless kind of menagerie of products. Um, But at the same time, it's, it's just, I think the undercurrent of it is just kind of being weird and creative and, and fun. And oh, absolutely. absolutely. I like I, that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the uh, the best, the closest thing I can really compare it to is like the, you know, in like Universal Studios in Florida, like, you know, they have like a Harry Potter world or a Jurassic Park world. It's kind of like that. You're exploring this little world they've made with like the, and Disney World as well, I guess, where yeah. they have cast members. Because in Omega Mart, they have employees who are completely in character and, and pretending to be part of it. 
Um, and it's not just the supermarket that is there. If you go and like get, um, go to the freezer area and you open one of the freezers, there's like a door that like uh, opens to like a completely other interdimensional world uh, <laughs> that is not even in the supermarket. So you enter this place and there's like a giant, I don't know, mammoth or something that's like purple or something like that. And you start exploring this whole weird world around it. Um, and that's the part where it talks about the multiple dimensions because apparently it's like tons of different different things so, so like you, you're basically exploring this so-called supermarket but every so often you could like th there'll be like the camping section and if you crawl into the ta the tent it like there's a tube that leads to something completely different it's just so bizarre uh at I think my friend said it's kind of like universal for adults, considering it's like an art exhibit. Yeah, um. <laughs> for, 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 for weirdos, for, yeah, weirdos for weirdos like us. Yeah, I'm going to put a challenge out there to anybody who, who lives in Vegas, who listens to this podcast or, you know, is within easy driving distance, perhaps, of Vegas and has nothing to do over a weekend and will please go to Omega Mart and tell us about your experience because I'd love to get some firsthand reactions, maybe some pictures. I don't know if they allow photography in there, but uh, I'd love to, yeah, road trip. Sheep in the uh, in the episode chaps, like asking yeah. if anybody wants to do a road trip. Yes, Hell TCU yeah. road trip to Omega Mart. <laughs> they allow footage, they allow videos, they love it. There's a, there's a oh, guy, I think, um, is it The Carpenter or something? There's a YouTube channel that basically goes to these different roadside attractions, and he did like a 30-minute exploration of it. And I think even Meow Wolf like commented on it saying, hell yeah, or something like in support of it. So they are down for like anyone who goes in and like films what they find in there. Because um, I think everyone has like their own unique experience when they go to it, because it's just mm -hmm. like, there's just so much to explore. Um, it seems so, yeah. like it'd be part of the fun for them too, just to see, I mean... It's, it's almost kind of the point, really, is just to see how people react to this ridiculous alternate reality <laughs> supermarket experience. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think any kind of like um, viewing that they, yeah, any, any kind of, what is it, reviews they get or like videos is, is probably publicity for them as well, like because right. people get to see what's inside. So they're all down for it, um, mm. which I'm really glad. Yeah, they're very open for it. Yeah, so definitely check that out. And uh, if anybody is capable of going there, do so and let us know about it. I want to get back to um, your channel a bit because we have a bunch of pretty in-depth questions from our patrons oh. that I, I, I'd love to to throw your way. Um, so the first comes from Tom Videogre. He asks, uh, "What the one project you've covered that made you smile the most? That made me smile the most? Ooh. Um, well, before, I guess Omega Mart is definitely one right now, but uh, I guess if I had to say before that, potentially Pizza Time Pizza. Um, for those who don't know what Pizza Time Pizza is, it's kind of similar to Omega Mart, but uh, it, there isn't like a place you can visit. It's like a pizza, it's like a pizzeria called Pizza Time Pizza. And there's commercials online that kind of tell a story through the commercials. Uh, and there's like this one video that pretty much goes, uh, Pizza Time, I, we're getting a lot of people calling Pizza Time Pizza a cult. I can assure you it is not a cult. And then they make a, like a very funny song about why it's not a cult. Um, it's like the best thing ever. Um, they, they they basically go around saying Domino's is a cult. I think they say, uh, 
you know, Pete's, Peter Express, they're all there occult, and then out of nowhere they just go, uh, Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer, but uh, Pizza Time <laughs> Pizza is definitely not a cult. And it's, it's a great video. <laughs> that, that definitely put a smile on my face when I saw that. Um, well, he has a follow-up, and that is switching gears a little bit. In your opinion, what is the newest frontier that you see for ARG slash unfiction creators getting into? The newest frontier. Um, hmm. Honestly, it could really go either way. I'm hoping it goes more down uh, an Omega Mart route where, where we kind of have this world building. Because the one thing that we've kind of lost over the last, I think, decade is this uh, ability to kind of step into this completely alternate reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that you just can explore and you can do what you want in it. Um, uh, because uh, what we're kind of getting now are essentially kind of web series with ARG elements. So it's kind of a story told in an alternate reality, but on a like, like a smaller scale. So we never really get to explore that world ourselves. And Meow Wolf has kind of brought in the possibility that we can explore these worlds and you can do what you want. You know, you don't have to like follow the lore you could be just there to like look at the the imagery you could be there just for the lore you could be there for something completely different entirely um and i and i kind of love that aspect of of what args had i think in the early 2000s um and i think meow wolf with with the past two things coming out in the last two years has suggested that maybe more companies might follow suit and do other things similar to that especially with the success that i'm seeing people are saying around omega mart um, I would love to see a, a, a little bit more uh, of ARGs going in that kind of direction because that I, does technically fall under uh, ARG. I also feel like once, if we ever get out from under this this haze of COVID, that there's going to be a lot of opportunity to do weird in-person things like Omega <laughs> Mart. You know, I think, I just, I really think people are going to be dying mm-hmm. to do things out of the house just go somewhere, have some kind of novel, weird experience. And and hopefully we do see more stuff like that because that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so Dan the Latch asks, uh, what would you say makes your style um, of analyzing and making theories of meta online works? Like how does it work different than other content creators? Um. I, I try to kind of, the, the best I can say is when I stand, I try to make my stuff stand out by getting original content. So usually I try to get involved with the creators of the product. It doesn't always happen, but I try my best because I feel beforehand I used to kind of make theory based stuff where I would be like, hmm, Maybe this is what actually happened, or maybe this particular thing happened. But more recently, I've I've really been fascinated in getting the creators themselves on to talk about what it is they made, and then maybe sometimes talk about their past if they're down for it. Um, uh, and pretty much, I feel like we can get to the bottom of what their kind of their goal is um, w- when I make my videos. So, so that if you've watched my videos, you'll notice that that's kind of happened a lot more frequently recently. Um, cause I feel like when you get an interview with someone, you immediately kind of stand out from the others because you have an interview that no one else is going to have. If you just cover an alternate reality game with, with nothing else other than the information that's already public, it's going to kind of, you know, be blended in with the rest of them. So 
that's kind of my goal of trying to stand out a little bit more from others is is getting the creators on and talking about having like an exclusive interview with them and mm -hmm. uh, and helping out um so yeah that's my angle currently uh of yeah. wanting to stand out i think that makes a, a big difference Mm -hmm. I think it works really well. Uh, it is more work for you, but I think it definitely <laughs> pays off in like yeah. the storytelling element of it. Um, his follow-up question is, how is writing scripts for another creator different from writing for your own content and how much control do you have over the end product? I am going to assume that's probably in reference to game theory. So uh, thankfully with game theory... There is not really. He kind of just lets you present the script however you you want. Like if you if you want it on a Google Doc, he doesn't really want it in any kind of. It doesn't have to be in a, a professional sense. It's how you feel comfortable with writing the the script. So, uh, I've usually been quite thankful when I've written scripts for him. I don't write them very often because I'm usually very focused on my own stuff. But when I do, uh, he does kind of let me. Uh, present it in the, the way I, I want and then he'll just like the only times he'll ever really intervene is if he wants like to, to change like a specific um sentence that might have sounded a little samey because I, I do sometimes repeat myself a lot and um if anything that's kind of helped me incorporate uh stuff into my own scripts because I used to repeat a lot and the fact he's pointed stuff like that out to me before because he's been writing for a lot longer than I have so it's really helped me under notice when I've started repeating stuff a little too much um or using like similar words um in one in one paragraph uh and, and so I think the two have, have really kind of helped me uh kind of get better at telling stories or at least I hope they have um <laughs> yeah this time's gone on that's that's a great tip I think for for anybody who's interested in writing is the thesaurus is really easy to use. Like <laughs> don't do not repeat words. Uh, just you know you could say it a different way. If if you do have to say something similar, um, at least change change the word and the in the, the style that you say it because that is a very 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 common mistake that I see. You know this yeah. is not like. Oh, you do that? It's like, no, no, no. Everybody does this until they learn to stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and to start noticing that like, oh, yeah, like I just use whatever, you know, the word in invention like two sentences ago. I'm not going to say invention again. I'll say cre creation this time. I don't know, whatever. That's probably yeah. a weird example. But that, that, that's essentially the gist of it. Definitely. Um, um, let's see. Okay, do you think we could use the collaborative effort that happens when solving internet mysteries to solve scientific enigmas and mathematical problems? If so, where would you start? That's an interesting question. Um, I think it could pro potentially maybe in future. I mean, we, we were kind of uh, talking not too long ago about how um, people found a mystery that wasn't solved for 14 years. It was, it, I mean... It was the. It, it turned out to be like the easiest waveform possible, but the fact that you know something like that can be solved just by internet people online um, could absolutely maybe help with with future things uh, as time goes on. How would we incorporate that? I I don't really know. I don't think I am uh, very educated in that situation to uh, figure out a way of how we could incorporate that um, for internet users to start solving stuff for that are more <laughs> realistic things the way, the thing i will say that i've always found interesting is that technology is certainly 
starting to solve mysteries that were unsolved for the longest of times. That's always been something interesting to me. Because mm -hmm. um, as I talked about how the, the mystery that I'm mentioning is, is a, there was a guy on a puzzle card and if you could find him, I don't exactly know what would have happened, but the game ended and no one found him. But facial recognition uh, reverse image searches found him in 2020. Um, and that's what I talked about, how technology was getting better. But then just recently... I can't remember the exact thing, but it was it was campers in Russia around the fifties who mysteriously died from from strange circumstances, like the Dilatov incident or something like that. I can't remember how you pronounce it, but um, they a bunch of campers went into some of the mountains uh, and were found dead a few days, a few weeks later, I think, after they didn't come back. And it was very strange of how they died. No one knew how they died. Um, and I think some had experienced aging and it was really strange mystery that was going on. That was somewhat very close to being solved because of Frozen 2. Um, Frozen what? 2. Yeah, I know, I know. So apparently Frozen has Frozen 2, they have like a snow engine that kind of simulates snow falling. And they were able to recreate the a potential avalanche that happened over the mountain that would create the same kind of damage as it would have to the, the campers that supposedly died. And technology like that is kind of getting uh, pretty good these days. And so that that's so, so maybe we won't even need Internet creators to solve these or, or um, online users because technology is probably going to be catching up to them uh, to solve these mysteries before us. It's it's also amazing to me, just as a quick aside, that technology developed for things like movies and video games then can be harnessed for scientific purposes. Mm -hmm. And and that's going to continue to happen as video games get better and as, you know, CG and whatever movies get better. That technology now exists and it was created because it was to fund a a frozen movie that probably made <laughs> Disney a billion dollars. But yeah. otherwise, who is funding a crazy like snow recreation algorithm or whatever? Uh, <laughs> no one. No one is doing that. Yeah. Um, so it it is like the uh, just kind of like the ancillary benefits sometimes that you get that are unexpected, I think. Mm -hmm is very fascinating when it comes to technology, you know, used for one thing, then all of a sudden um, science can harness it and you can, we can, we can learn from it. I think that's, that's really neat because otherwise, you know, some scientist in uh, MIT or whatever is not going to get million dollars fu of funding to create a snow animation engine um, <laughs> to, to solve a, a Russian mystery from 62 years ago you know <laughs> that's not happening okay oh, wow. um <laughs> so we we have uh we have a, a couple of more yeah uh this is uh when or how do you decide a subject or arg is not worth working on not worth working on um i guess i'll do the the basic thing so when uh, I get either messaged an arg or or some kind of strange thing that's been happening online uh th that is related to that um, the first few things I notice is that, uh, when I know it's kind of not probably worth my time in the nicest way possible, uh, is, is when they use kind of tropes that have been overdone in ARGs. Cause ARGs are very similar to like movies. There are tropes that get overdone to the point where it's, 
you can tell that this is probably not going to be a great one to to keep mm. up with. Um, so, like for example, uh, a, a lot of codes tend to be implemented into an ARG. Uh, that that's kind of the thing a lot of people associate with ARGs. It doesn't have to be, uh, but a lot of people do it. And I've noticed that when someone first starts out with an ARG uh, or, or some kind of unfiction, it's always uh, the binary that you tend to see. You usually see Morse code. You usually see base 64. Uh, those when, when when that is like the title of the YouTube channel, it's in Morse code, or there's a there's a video that has like binary in the title, or it flashes binary. It tends to be a sign that it's probably not gonna be one to watch, and it might be just someone who's first started out making their ARGs and they're just finding their feet, you know. So I, I never like try to like full on. Uh, shit on those people. Oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in this podcast. So it's, I, it's all right. <laughs> uh, but um, I never uh try to be like too mean, mean on those because I I know that it's like it's usually their first they're, they're starting out. I think everything. I love the quote of you can't make great stuff until you've made good stuff, and you can't make good stuff until you've made okay stuff, and you can't mm -hmm. make okay stuff until you've made really bad stuff. Um, so I always try and encourage people as well when they make their first ARG, ARG, so many people like want it to be like seen by all these people. And I always try to encourage people make it with your friends first, like do, do it like behind closed doors, if, if anything, just to test out what, what you like and what you don't. Um, because I, I think sometimes some people can do that and I don't know, th there can be like some people online that are very cruel. And so you can come across people and, and, and it kind of scars some people to stay away from like making content ever again. Um, I've seen it happen. Um, so mm -hmm. I always try to encourage people to just, with their first starting out, make it small first as well and don't over uh, complicate it. Um, so so yeah, it's it's things like that that I t kind of look for uh, when I'm looking into an ARG. If I if it's not worth covering, usually as well, there's like their uh, profile picture is usually just black because it's cryptic. It's cryptic when you've got your profile as just black. Mm -hmm. Or um, what else is there? There's usually uh, footage of like that they're filming on their phone and they're running. There's usually no context behind the running, but it's dark. They're in a field. They're running binary might flash up on the screen as they do that usually with like those different combinations i'm iffy um i i think recently as well more found footage stuff has tend to push me away from 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 things but i never also try to encourage people to not do that stuff because i think there's there can be clever ways to do it for for example i would go back to dad nathan barnett he actually has incorporated binary into his uh stuff before but it's not uh done in a way where it's um there's no reason for it the the whole story behind it is that he's a robot so it makes sense that he would be using binary in his stuff and not only that he presents it in funny ways like i think i was in the middle of an interview or something and he messaged the interviewer to tell me a message and i'm here thinking it's just going to be like hey d hey check out this cryptic thing but no he sent it in binary and he got the interviewer to read it out zero one zero 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 one 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 zero so i literally got like 10 minutes of the guy just re reading it out <laughs> one at a time uh which i thought was like it's a funny way of like presenting binary uh in in something that's it's a different way it's it's a very overused code but presented in, in something new that i hadn't seen before so right everywhere. yeah so 
but but I think that your advice really extends to a lot of people starting out on YouTube and it's just to kind of start small and and just also just start just start making the thing and stop talking about it <laughs> that's yeah like, like yeah, the, that's the, the biggest well. hurdle is like yeah cool idea now you know start making stuff that's a lot mm -hmm. more important than having the best idea ever Absolutely. um well look man this was great um this was awesome to have you on here i'm really uh enjoying the stuff that you're doing on the channel i think it's really interesting and like i said earlier it's just very compelling the way that you put stuff together the way it's edited is good i mean even though that you say you initially consider it as kind of like a podcast the visuals are compelling i mean something is happening and moving and and, and, and all the time it's not like you you kind of skimp on the visuals um everything about it i think is is packaged really nicely so um yeah everybody check out check out inside a mind if if you're interested in unique stories that you might not have heard before. I know you got a preview of one on this episode. I'm looking forward to that video for sure, just to find out, you know, the, the, the sort of details that weren't, uh, uh, that were kind of glossed over in your summary of it, but, um, definitely subscribe to inside of mind and thank you to all of our patrons for hanging out with us. Thank you to every, all the lurkers that were with us here live, um, on discord. We are here every Tuesday. I mean, Every TCU night, my brain is starting to go foggy. Um, TCU night, every Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern time, live on Discord. We are going to be here next week, the week after that, the week after that. You cannot get rid of us. If you like uh, uh, listening to the show and want to support it, uh, please go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. There's also an Inside the Mind Patreon. So if you become a gigantic fan of that channel and also want to support that, which I assume that you will, uh, please do. But um, until next week, uh, thanks again, man. And uh, we will see you, Space Cowboys. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. We'd like to extend a huge thank you and congratulations to the Tots and Dumpster crew who save tiny little lives every month. A tremendous shout-out to our elite baby gang. Trevstad, Boromir, Botdogs, Chinchilla, Isaac, Conrad, James, Jeff Davis, Patrick Pister, Baseweight, and Dojangles. And thank you to our grizzled, battle-hardened child infantry. Jen Mefisanti, Kevin Menard, Mikhail Steinke, Risebread, Sean Malone, Triple Question Mark, Monaghan, Ryan Kinder, Sheep, and Maruko. Thank you as well to our producer and editor Ben Webster, and to our media manager Dan Yosua. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. 